Father, we, we do pray for that conflict, and, and Lord, it's just tough. It's tough when things are out of hand, when uh, there's like no room for uh, negotiation and compromise. I just pray, God, that you would protect people, protect lives. And Lord, that you would bring a resolution to what's going on there. And we know ultimately peace comes when Jesus Christ sits on the throne. And then, so today we cry, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And as we get ready to open up your word, I pray that as we look at this section, I pray that we would take it to heart. Lord, I think one of the most powerful places in scripture for us to learn about you, learn from you, and God, it's one of the, also one of, I think one of the most ignored and set aside areas. So I pray that today we would have ears to hear, hearts that are pliable, that this would be a fruitful time for every single one of us, that we would better know our God, that we would better know ourselves. And so we do give you this time, we thank you, Lord, that we can be here today with Bibles open in our laps or on our devices and ready to hear from you and ready to fellowship with you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, chapter, or chapter 12 in verse two, it says to us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he started that whole idea, we have to focus on him and look to him. And some people think, beginning in verse four, and especially verse five, that he kind of changes direction. I don't think so. I think he's like setting us up, and I know in one, two, and three, he's talking about a race, but I think he's setting us up for what he's about to say, because I think four through 11 is some of the most powerful scripture, once we get it in our heart, that we can understand in our relationship with God. And I believe, listen, I believe in today's Christianity, for the most part, in America, man, there is such a mess of this thing called Christianity, and there's this whole movement today, especially among young people, I've talked about before, this whole progressive Christianity, which I kind of call liberal, it's a, you know, it's interesting, it's the same old stuff, only repackaged and renamed, but listen, people are moving away, and they're going through all this deconstruction stuff, and, and you know, it always cracks me up, because I think, well, if you're going to get deconstructed, you had to get constructed someplace, right? But hey, they're going through all of this stuff, and here's what happens. People are told a lie. And they're told that God is going to make them healthy, wealthy, everything's gonna be beautiful, everything's gonna be easy, and they're not gonna go through any difficulties. And the moment they hit a difficulty, they're mad at God. It's God's fault. Why did he do this? And then somebody gets a hold of them and they say, hey, let me help you out. Let me move you away from that God and let me give you a God, you know, who's a fake God who's not a real God. So people get upset. And even some of us, we maybe sometimes ask, Lord, why is it I'm struggling and those around me who don't know you have it so easy? Why is that going on? Doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. And we start whining and whining and whining to God. Sometimes I think God just, uh, at least for me, maybe not for you guys, sometimes I think he just wants to slap me. Just like stop whining. But we do that. Why? Because we're self-centered because we're focused on ourselves. And bottom line, listen carefully, because we don't believe chapter 12, verses four through 11. We don't believe those are true. 
God loves us. And God loves us enough to spank us. And that's the truth and that's the fact. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. It's gonna be one long spanking from God as we go through this. So verse four, verse four he says, you have not resisted, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now think about these people that he's writing to and he says you focus on Jesus, you look at Jesus who for the joy set before him, right? He, he, he ignored the cross, went through the cross, despising that shame, despising that sin. And he went through all that in, in, in two and three. And then listen, then he says, you guys, you're kind of having a fit? Listen, you've not yet shed blood. Why are you having such a fit? And think about that. Think about the next time you start whining. Shed any blood yet? No. You know, sometimes when people tell me how tough they have it as Christians, my pat answer, so you may not want to come to me for counseling if you're having a tough time, my pat answer is this. When you get to heaven, tell Paul about that. Listen, we don't know anything about, realistically, we don't know anything about suffering. Yeah, our fillers get hurt, and we get upset, and, and those kind of things go on, but most of us have never suffered the true suffering and, you know, we, we go through hardship. So, so here's what he says, guys. Here's what he's saying in verse four. Come on, buck up. You haven't, you haven't died yet. You haven't shed blood yet. So let's get going and let's look at truth and let's look at reality and quit thinking that your life has to be a bed of roses and your life should be so easy that you don't have to struggle at all. So then he says, I, I love this part, verse five, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now before I read on, he's gonna quote Proverbs. My translation says, you have forgotten. Some translations say, have you forgotten? I believe you have forgotten is more accurate. I don't think he's asking a question. I think here's what he's saying. You have forgotten what the word of God says because if you really remembered what the word of God says, you wouldn't be whining right now and you wouldn't be in that place where you're mad at God, you want to walk away from God, but you're there, why? Because you have forgotten what the word says. You've forgotten the exhortation. And a lot of us, if we're really honest, we're there. And I think uh, many of us, if we're really, really, really honest, we, we aren't people who've forgotten. We're people who've never read it in the first place. Listen, you want to have victory in your life, this, this thing called victory, you gotta know the word of God. Why? Because the word of God reveals God. I don't believe we need new light. I don't believe we need new revelation. I believe we need to believe the revelation we already have. And God has given us revelation of who he is, revelation of how we're to live, how we're to, and who we are. And he says, listen, here's what this author's saying. You have forgotten what you're supposed to know. Now, I don't think that's necessarily like a horrible thing because I would say a lot of us Hey, when things don't go my way, I'm a whiner. Ask my wife. And I'm, you know, I'm not just pointing fingers. And I, I believe the Lord says, you have forgotten that. Oh, yeah, you're right. And if we're sitting here today going, not me, 
then you've got other issues you need to deal with. And so here's the thing. A lot of us, when we're disciplined by God, we get upset and we get mad. When I was a kid and my dad disciplined me, I didn't like it. I didn't go, oh, please, dad, please, please do this. I was saying, please, please don't do this, right? And whenever I got busted, whenever I got busted, I, I, here's what I thought. Do parents have like spies everywhere? <laughs> and so when we're disciplined by our parents, and we're gonna talk about this, because I, listen, I know this is a touchy area for some people. I know some people have been abused by their parents, abused by their fathers, and, and I'm gonna try and cover that in a moment. So I, I understand that, but generally speaking, parents discipline us because they want us to be the best we can be. They're doing it for our good. So our heavenly father, how much more him? So here's what he says, again, he says, listen, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Do, we, do you know we're sons of God? And I'm not gonna work real hard to try and make this politically correct and say sons and daughters when sons, that's generic. We understand that, right? Nod your heads, ladies. Look, we understand we're all in this together, right? He's using that term in a broad sense and in a real sense, but do you understand who we are? Do you understand what that means? If I'm a son of God, then God has the right to train me and bring me up and grow me up, just like my earthly father had the right to train me and grow me and bring me up. Now, when we think about people being abused and stuff, and I'm gonna cover it a little bit later, but when we think about that, you need to understand the culture he was writing to because sometimes we go, well, you know, that might have worked for that culture, but it doesn't work for this culture. Well, let me let you in on something of that culture. Rome, in those days, a father had absolute authority over his children and especially his son. Complete, absolute authority. When the child was born, he could give a thumbs up or he could give a thumbs down to have that child executed at birth. As that child went through his life, at any moment that father could have him executed. So I think they had it a little bit worse than we do. So that's a culture he's writing to. So don't, don't kind of think, well, you know, the Bible really doesn't know what I'm going through. Yeah, the Bible understands, but again, speaking generally. So here's what he says. He says, speaks to you as sons, and then he goes on in the middle of verse five. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now he's quoting, listen, he's quoting Psalm, or I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter three, and, and bringing that into Hebrews and bringing that into our world and our life, and he's telling us something. Do not despise the discipline of God. I, like, I, think, I think the word chasten for some of us is just kind of like we don't get that, so we'll, we'll just say discipline. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Now what's interesting, it's not the same word when it says uh, that Jesus was despising the shame and, and has sat down on the right hand of the Father earlier in verse two. That word is despicable, right, despising. This word for despise is treating it lightly or nonchalantly or it doesn't really matter. Now I don't think it's so much a discipline, I think it's the idea that God has brought the discipline. In other words, don't treat lightly the fact 
that God is disciplining you. Think about that. Think about why would God have a reason to discipline me? Why would God have a right to discipline me? And don't treat it lightly. Don't treat it as though it's nothing or not from him. So how do we do with that? Because I think a lot of us, when God brings a little discipline in our life, I think it's a lot like when we're kids growing up. It's not, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. And we get mad. Some of us pout longer than others. Some of us have pity parties, and we invite people. Nobody ever shows up. If you've ever noticed, nobody ever comes to your pity party. And we do all of these things, and he says, listen, listen, saints, don't despise that. Don't treat that lightly, nor, listen, nor be discouraged. Listen, don't, don't grow disheartened about what's going on. Don't feel like you need to give up. Don't get in that place. How many times do I hear from people, I think God forgot me. No, he hasn't forgot you. Are you sure, Pat? I'm absolutely sure. Well, then how come this person has it so good and I have it so tough? Probably because you need a spanking, that's why. Because something's going on, and we need to do, listen, there's nothing wrong with doing some evaluation. What's going on in my life? How am I doing with my walk with the Lord? Hey, even the, quote, the best of us, those of you who are really, really holy, you even still got issues you gotta deal with. And you got things going on in your life. So here's what he says, man. Don't treat it lightly, nor on the other extreme, don't get so disheartened and, and so discouraged that you want to give up. I kind of like that. And he says, listen, the Lord scourges. Now, that might be kind of hard for some of us. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Listen, he loves us. God loves us. I wrote this down because I think this is important. Faith's logic on on this topic of discipline. So I wrote it down. Faith's logic, faith's logic is simple. We are God's children, God loves his children, and is bound by his own nature and his own covenant to do them only good. Therefore, whatever we receive from God's hand, including discipline, is from God's love. You see, if you work that logically think about it in your head think about what's going on you will come to that conclusion and that's what the author of, of of hebrews here is trying to get in our hearts so verse 7 then says if you endure chastening or disciplining god deals with you as sons for what son is there whom a father does not chasten or discipline now i know some that i'm talking to had earthly fathers that took things too far. Maybe physically, maybe verbally, some were even abused sexually. I, I, I understand that's part of the world we live in. So sometimes for those people, it's a real, real hard concept to read something like this and to read about God as our heavenly father because that, that whole concept of father has just a big black dark hole for them and I understand that. But we gotta get past that. We've gotta be people who are willing to get past that and not judge God by what our earthly fathers have done to us. We've got to judge God by who God is and again by what I just said. And I understand for some that's a process. That's something hard to do. That's something you've got to work through and take some time. So I don't want to take lightly that idea that some people are in that camp. But I believe most of us, 
We were raised in such a way where our fathers, my dad disciplined me. My dad was a harsh discipline, disciplinarian. He was, I don't think he abused me, and maybe I was too dumb to know, but I don't think he did. But my dad disciplined me, here's what I know, because he wanted me to do good. He didn't discipline me just out of anger, well, maybe a couple times. And we kind of laugh, but dads sitting here with me right now, have you been perfect in raising your children? If you're nodding your head yes, I want you to sign my Bible. <laughs> no, we blow it occasionally. We, we, we should never discipline out of anger, but sometimes we do, and et cetera. So, I don't want us to just think of all the things because here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna start doing that, then we're gonna project that to God, and then we're gonna figure that God doesn't love us and that God flies off the handle and God does things. No, whatever God does is perfect and right and just. So getting back to the idea, here's what he says. Dads discipline their own children. I remember hanging out in the neighborhood. When I was a kid, you went outside, right? We didn't know what it was to stay inside. We would go outside, and one of our favorite things in the summertime, my, my friend next door had a huge, huge evergreen tree that the branches wove like this, like you could almost sleep in it. And we would get a box up there, and then we would fill up water balloons. And then cars would go by. Now, it's kind of stupid to do that from your own yard. But kids aren't bright we would hit cars, bomb them, and then we bombed this one car really, really good, and it was our coach from PE, our PE teacher, and he's at this guy's house, and he's, and he's knocking on the door, and he's drying himself. And I'm thinking, what's up? He had his window down. And our dads, I remember our dads, like, where are those? They didn't know where we were, and like, we're staying hid. And then my friend Vince finally comes down, his dad grabs him, and then I can hear my dad, Patrick, where are you? Nowhere, dad. <laughs> now, his dad disciplined him, and my dad disciplined me. His dad didn't discipline me, why? Because his dad doesn't love me like my dad loves me. Are, are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Why do our parents do it? Because they love us, because we, I know some of us, have you ever been in a store and wanted to help someone out with discipline? <laughs> Give me that kid for a week. They'll know how to act <laughs> next time. But we don't get to do that, right? That's not our job because we don't love them. But our, our earthly fathers, we're supposed to, and this might be a thing, you know, this is a pre-Father's Day message. Fathers, Take note, man, you are in some ways representing God to your children and you need to raise them correctly. Hey, if you're still raising kids and you're still with them, you need to raise them correctly and you need to be that example that when you discipline them, it's out of love and out of care and out of the desire for them to be right. And so that's the point he's making. Earthly fathers do that, then check this out. How much greater will your heavenly father do the same thing? But I think, listen, I think a lot of us, we hear chastening or discipline, and we get the wrong idea. Here's a good definition. God's chastening or discipline is not punishment meted out by an angry God who wants to uphold the law. Rather, 
it is difficulty permitted by a loving father who wants his children to submit to his will and develop a godly character. Man, God wants us to be holy. We're gonna find out here in a moment. So we walk down that way. Listen, he says, if you endure chastening again in verse seven, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening or discipline of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Do you hear what he's saying? Hey, if somebody lets you run wild, then you don't have a father that cares about you, that is concerned about you. And he says, you've got to bring that into this same spiritual relationship that the father chastens you because he loves you. You know, we, when we had a school years ago when we were out on Hereford Road, we had a school and uh, I guess I was the ultimate principal. You know, we had a principal, but then I guess I was a superintendent or something. But, I, you know, they would look to me to make rules. And I always stepped in gum. I hated that. I hated stepping in gum. So I made a rule that if you got caught chewing gum, you got three days suspension. People would go, dude, that's kind of heavy. I hate stepping on gum. So that was a rule, and it was a very explicit. That was a rule. And I remember one of, the, one of the guys, and he's a great guy now, and he's this, he's this like teenager, and he goes, and so he got caught chewing gum, we suspended him. And he comes, and he, you know, typical kid, Pastor Pat dude, he says, he says, I get kicked out of school for chewing gum. I have friends that go to Buena that smoke pot, and they don't get in any trouble. And I go, that's because we love you and you have a God who loves you, and they don't. Think about that. Think about that in our lives when we get busted for something and we get all uptight. It's because God loves us, not because he hates us, not because he's angry with us, not because he wants to push us over the edge. So he lets us know, listen, we're not illegitimate, we're sons. Furthermore, verse nine, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Do you hear what he's saying? Listen, man, we've had human fathers who, when my dad corrected me, and I respected my dad, I don't know how other people feel. It's, it's kind of always weird when, you, when you, you, you dig inside and know how you feel. Like, I respected my dad all of his life. And no matter how old I got, I respected my dad. And no matter how old I got, when I got around my dad, I felt like a little kid. Because he's my dad. And I just had that feeling, you know, just, I, I don't think I shrunk back, but I just had that thing. This is my dad. I don't disrespect my dad. Even when my dad would say really, really dumb things, I would think, don't say that. You know, he came one time. My dad was not a believer, and we were out on Hereford Road, and he came one time, and, and he comes up front to talk to me, and he's like telling me that my nephew was in town and we needed to get together, and he's cursing like crazy in church. And I'm going, Dad, this is church. But I do respect you, but, right? You still gotta respect them. And so you respect your dad, and he says, listen, your dads do that not to earn respect. They do that because they love you, and that gives them respect. Well, the same, so if that's true, right? He's going from the lesser to the greater. If that's true, listen to what he says in the middle of verse nine. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. Oh. Shouldn't we accept from God's hand what God brings us? 
And shouldn't we be people that we're willing to do that and we're willing to understand, I have a God who loves me. And listen, love doesn't always mean I'm gonna get whatever I want. I didn't get whatever I wanted from my dad. As a matter of fact, I got very little what I wanted from my dad because my dad was weird. <laughs> my dad was the guy like you'd say, hey dad, uh, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Here's what I want. My dad would go to a secondhand store and buy something close to that. Here you go, kid. Oh, thanks, dad. It's kind of not what I wanted. So I've kind of learned that, you know, I, I don't think God goes to secondhand stores, but I've kind of learned that God's not always gonna give me what I want. And often he doesn't give me what I want because it's not good for me. I often think when we were trying to move into town from Hereford Road, we're out on Hereford Road, and I had a vision that, that I really wanted us to move into town so we could reach more young people, because young people going way out there, they have to get their parents to drive them. It was difficult, it was hard, it was out of the way. And man, I, I went to so many places, and I've shared this before. I would go to places, I would find a building in town, and then I would ask people to give it to us because that's just who I am. Say, hey, you want a tax write-off? You could give us that building. Get out of here, you know? And I would write letters. I remember different things. I would write letters. At one point, Robert Furrow said, would you stop? You're embarrassing me. And I said, Robert, my Bible says you have not because you ask not. And I'm asking. All they're gonna do is say no. And he goes, but you embarrass me. I go, it's okay, then buy us a building if I'm embarrassing you. I'll take care of it. And he goes, you don't give up, do you? And I go, no, I'll figure out a way. But listen, man, there were some that I thought were so perfect and so right, and God just kept blocking it and kept blocking it and kept blocking it. And I, hey, I'm like everybody else. I'm thinking, come on, God, why don't you come through? What's up? Don't you love me? And then God gives us this these two facilities where we're at, almost like smack dab in the middle of Syria. How good is that? And wait for him. So listen, man, we need to understand. We need to be people that we need to be subjected to him and understand. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days disciplined us or chastened us. It seemed good to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Oh, oh, now he's getting down to everything. Listen, we're going through this long thing and we're going through this and he's trying to get us to understand what you're walking through is for your own good so that you can grow deep, not just wide. Listen, a lot of us are really wide in our Christianity, but we're about an inch deep. God wants us to go deep. And you're only gonna go deep when you walk through deep things with God. Difficult things, hard things, things that you never dreamt you were gonna go through. You go through those with God and you begin to understand him, have a greater grasp and concept of who he is, how he loves you, and what he does, and then you're going to have a deep, not a shallow relationship, you're gonna have that deep abiding relationship with him, and that's called holiness. And that's God's goal for us. That's what he desires to do for us. Now, I wrote down, I wrote down, I think there's like three different kinds of discipline. And we'll kind of go through those here and, and look at them. I'm not gonna go in depth, but I, I put up some scriptures. But I think, I think the first one is corrective. And when I think of corrective discipline, I think of David. And David kind of talking about it in Psalm 119. But most of us know the story of David, right? We just, we just looked at that. David, Bathsheba, Uriah, child, and there was some corrective 
discipline in David's life, right? God needed to get him back on track, you know, kind of like, like he has to do for some of us. And that corrective discipline comes out victorious in David's life when we read things like Psalm 119, and especially those couple verses. I put up the verses because I know most of you aren't gonna read all the verses of Psalm 119. So you have David, listen, you have David being corrected that way, and some of us need that. Some of us are on a path where it's really bad, and we even know it's really bad, but we're gonna do it anyway, and God says, okay, time for a spanking. Let's go. And he's gonna get us, and we should appreciate that. Why does God do that? Because he loves us, because he cares for us. And then there's a discipline. The next one I, I, I wrote down, there's a discipline of, of what we might call preventive discipline. And I put down 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, what did Paul have? Remember Paul had that thorn in the flesh? Oh, take this thorn away from me. Ain't gonna do it, Paul. Please, God, take this thorn away from me. No, Paul, ain't gonna do it. God, would you take the stinking thorn out of me? This is a paraphrase. <laughs> I ain't gonna do it, Paul, why? Because you need that thorn. Why did Paul need that thorn? So Paul wouldn't think he was all that. So he would understand he's not all that, that God is all that. And there's that preventive in some of us. Listen, some of us, we have that in our lives. There are things in our lives that are never, ever gonna go away. They're never, ever gonna get fixed. They're never, ever gonna be taken care of because why? We need that in our life to keep us in the place so we won't be boastful, prideful, arrogant, so we won't be those people. That's a good thing. And when we begin to look at that, thank you, Lord, because what did, what did Paul say? Thank you. Because in my weakness, your grace is sufficient. In my weakness, your grace is made perfect, right? And so Paul, listen, Paul accepting that. And then the last one I put is educational. And I put jo jo job, Job, Job 42. You know, it's funny when people first get saved, how come they have the book of jobs? It's where you look for employment in that book. So Job, we have Job and and again, the whole story of Job, I have to say, I am fascinated with the story of Job. I will never teach it again, because the last time I taught it, I got a flesh-eating fungus on my leg that ate a hole in my leg, and I've decided I'm never teaching that book again. Someone said, well, what if I want to hear you teach it? Find the archives, because I am not teaching it. I don't know what'll happen next time. But Job, when you think of Job and the stuff that God brought in Job's life and the friends, don't you just, don't you get mad at those guys? Like, why are you doing that? And then what's weird, we get mad at them and then one of our friends start hurting and we go do the same thing. Hmm? Busted some of you, then someone laughed, so they're busted. <laughs> we go do the same thing. And like they give him the worst advice and do the worst things. What was that whole story? What was the whole story about in Job? It was to educate Job. Educate Job how? In chapter 42, Job says, you know, before I heard God, but what does he say? But now I have seen the Lord. He didn't see him physically. He saw him through pain and suffering and hurt and bad advice and garbage from his friends and that young guy, that young guy's the worst of all, man. I just want to smack that guy. Shows up and then God and then, and then 
Do you understand Job died never knowing the point of the book of Job? Hmm. He just, here's what Job said. Why God? And I love to share this because I think this is the educational thing. God says it doesn't matter why and you don't even need to know why. All you need, Job, is me. Remember that in your heart and in your life when you're going with something, going through something. You can't put it together. You can't. You've confessed every sin you've committed. You've confessed everything you've thought, every sin you've thought about committing. You've confessed everything, every sin you're going to think about committing. You're just like trying to get everything and trying to get everything out of you. And you've done it and you've done it. And, you, and, and again, this is kind of transactional Christianity. And then we think God owes us something. No. You know what God owes us? Hell. By his mercy, he gives us heaven. So Job, here's all you need is me. All we need is him. And don't ever forget that in your heart because God may never show you why. He may never show you why you're going through it. And listen, I don't want to say that everything in our life is this disciplined thing, whether it's these three or something, because some of the things in our life is because we're just stupid is why, you know, and, and it's just things we do to ourselves and it's on us. Don't be blaming discipline or God or anything else. And then some of the things are because other people are stupid and do things to us, right? But I think, I think, and almost anything, we can find God's hand and God's work. And have you, ever, have you ever just stopped and looked back over your life and thought about the things God has done in your life? Good, bad, ugly. I often talk about getting drafted. And I think most of you know, it wasn't a favorite time in my life. I was not, I did not enjoy the military for a second. No, I just wanted in and out. I want to do my time, get out, kind of almost like to me going to prison. I'll do my time and I'll get out. I'll keep my nose clean, do whatever it takes, and just let me out of here. But here's the weird thing. I, and, and, you know, if those who got drafted, I don't know if anybody else in here, most of you are too young. <laughs> but, man, I just remember, like, I was, I was a little put out. Like, why me? Why did I get drafted? And this is even before I knew the Lord. Why did I get drafted? That stinks. And I got drafted in 1974. In 1989, when I began the ministry in Bisbee and planted the church in Bisbee, I was diagnosed with a tumor behind my right eye, a tumor about as big as my eye behind my eye. And the doctor here in Sierra Vista was saying, this is serious, you need to get it taken care of. And I remember he was a doctor I used to trade with pottery because I was still doing pottery. And I said, well, can we trade and you can take care of it? And he goes, no, I don't know. And I go, have you ever done this surgery? He goes, no. And I go, well, want to practice? <laughs> I mean, I was hurt. And listen, I, had, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the insurance. I didn't have anything. And then that doctor said, Pat, go to the VA. I got drafted in 1974 so that in 1989, God could take care of that tumor in my eye. Gaynell reminds me of that every time I start whining about the army. 
She'll say, remember, 1989. You might not like 70. I'm sorry, I got drafted in 72, got out in 74. So remember, don't think about 72 through 74. Think about 89. Focus on that. And we need to know that. Listen, and God has that for all, you know. I I believe, listen, I believe he's got a plan. That doesn't mean everybody's going to come out the way I did, but he's involved in our lives, and he cares about us, and we're gonna walk through things that are difficult. And listen, man, he says, I'm doing this so you'll be a partaker of holiness. And sometimes that partaking of holiness comes through a victory, in sense, and sometimes that partaking of holiness comes through tremendous defeat in our lives because we still can trust God when we're down in the bottom. So he says, do not, do not despise nor get discouraged. And then he wraps this up in verse 11. He says, now, no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Listen, isn't that true? Like, you know, when my dad, when my dad would, my dad spanked me. I know some of you are going, <gasps> it was okay back then. I think it's okay still. But, you know, my dad spanked me, and, and my dad didn't, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Pastor Jack, I think, says it best. Sometimes when I hear, I take my belt off too fast and hear the belt loops, I break out in a cold sweat. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, you heard that noise, you knew what was coming. But listen, I didn't, I didn't count that obviously as joy. It was painful. And sometimes you gotta go through the pain to get to the ultimate joy. And we need to understand that. I think the worst thing in the world, well, let me, let me quote an old, 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 old dead guy. This is Jerome. I don't know how many of us know about Jerome, a theologian around the late 300, early 400s, right? So that's a long time ago. Listen to what he said, because this is kind of a paradoxical point that he makes. And, And don't take this the wrong way. I think he says it great, though. He says, the greatest anger of all is when God is no longer angry with us. Mm. You see, the worst is when God doesn't even care about us anymore. That's what Jerome is saying. So you might be pouting and whining about what you're going through. Wouldn't it be horrible if God didn't even care about you? Hmm. And then to wrap this up, so he says, it doesn't seem joyful or pleasant. He says in the, in the middle of verse 11, but it's painful. Nevertheless, listen carefully, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. yes. Yes. What is, what is all of this doing in your life? It yields fruit in your life, and it begins to develop your character, develop who you are. Once again, why did my dad do what he did in my life? Because he wanted to develop character in me. He wanted me to be a good citizen, a productive citizen in, in you know, the world I live in and, and productive for the society I'm part of. That was his whole point. What does God want for us? He wants us to be fruitful, and I love this, the, the peaceable fruit. I look at it this way, man. God wants to bring peace in our lives in this, and I know this isn't a word, but it's fun to make words up. He wants to bring peace in our life in this unpeaceful world. This world's full of unpeace. We need God saying, man, I want to bring this peace to you. I want this to happen for you. And I love this whole idea that, listen, we can be trained by God's discipline 
into this whole area of a peaceful righteousness, not self-righteousness, a peaceful righteousness. Why does God spank us? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And he loves us enough to discipline us. I believe that's the most important lesson we need to get out of this, especially if you're a whiner, especially if you're a person that you think God owes you something, especially if you're somebody that you think, I go to church, therefore God has to do this. You're not in a transaction relationship with God. Well, in a sense you are. You're in one transaction. The blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin. That's a transaction God did, and he did that for you. After that, listen, you don't make deals with God. It always bugs me when people, I'm gonna make a deal with God. No, you're not. Saints, endure a spanking. Endure discipline. And like my dad used to tell me, this ain't gonna kill you. One guy got caught looking over a wall. And his neighbor said, why are you looking over this wall? And he said, because I can't see through it. That's why. (laughs) Get on your tippy toes and look over the wall of what's going on in your life. And how do you do that? This thing called the Bible. This will expose you to all of the truths that are going on, and then you can be deep. So, are you one who has forgotten? Then get remembered and get back in the word and get the word in you. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we're reading here today. And, and Lord, I know, it's, I know it's difficult. I know this topic, and again, I know there's some still sitting here who haven't, just, haven't even got past the idea of the abuse in their lives, of the hurt and the pain. And Lord, I, I pray for them. I pray for a healing of their heart, a healing of those scars, a healing of their mind. And I pray that they can come to that place where they can understand That term father is not always negative, not always a black hole, not always ugly. And that they can come and worship you as the heavenly father that you are. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And yes, it can even be a disciplined thing, but it's okay. For the rest of us, God, let us stop whining. Let's stop being people who are we're so self-centered and we so feel that you owe us this great, wonderful life. We, we are taught that often in some places of theology and we're taught that sometimes even just in the songs we sing. But Lord, let us be people who we receive everything from your hand as a gift from a loving father to a son and daughter that we would know this is from you because you love us. Let us get that heart of Job, no matter what's going on, and that we would know that you, God, are working. And I believe that takes faith. So Lord, increase our knowledge of you, increase our understanding of you, so that our faith will be in that God, 
And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for another couple minutes. And, and if you are here today, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to come in to save you, to, to take away your sin, today is the day to do that. You're not here by mistake. And even some of what I've said, some of what I've shared is I know for some of us, man, you're hearing this and you're thinking, what is going on? And it's not making a lot of sense to you because you're not born again. So the Bible says that we're all sinners. Every person in here has committed sin. That's a reality, that's a truth. The wages of sin, what that sin costs is separation from God. You cannot have a relationship with him. That's all bad news and it gets, you know, and it's, it's about the worst news, you can't get close to God. The good news is Jesus Christ died on a cross, paid that price in a moment, in an instant of time so that you could have that relationship with God restored. And now today, right now, here this morning, he holds out to you this ticket, this receipt that says, hey, I took care of it, it's paid in full. All you gotta do is take it from him and receive it. To do that, you gotta let him know. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you can repeat this prayer with me. You can say it out loud, you can say it silently. Hey, if you're backslidden today, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're backslidden, I gotta think this, this passage like hits you between the eyes. So you know what? Come home. Come back to Jesus. Let him know you wanna come home. Say this prayer with us. If you're watching online, hey, stand up right where you're at, in your home, or, well, if you're driving, don't do it, but wherever you're at, and say this prayer and call on the name of the Lord and let him know. You don't have to be in this building. So once again, you can say this out loud. You can say it silently. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you this morning for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to change me and guide me. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.